It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into a special Thursday edition of the Locked On Reds podcast. Today, we are actually going to be back in time because today, back in time, I need to have some Huey Lewis playing there. Um, we have that, that feller that's laughing in the background is our friend Cam Miller. He returns as today is a momentous day when it comes to on this date in Reds history. If you were to look that up right now, you would see three very big things. Two of them are much bigger than the other because they involve World Series, but the third involves our current manager. Firstly, though, we're going to be talking about Game 6 of the 1975 World Series, widely regarded as the best baseball game ever played. And the only reason that Reds fans agreed to this is because, well, the Reds won Game 7, so (laughs) sorry, Boston. Uh, But here to tell us all about all of this great stuff is Cam Miller himself. First off, though, Cam, how you doing, man? I am doing absolutely splintastic. Fall is finally here. Uh, the baseball season, the postseason, you know, it was in full swing. Um, football's great. I mean, what, what a great time of year. I absolutely love this time of year. You got hockey, you got basketball. I mean, how can you not love this time of year? October and Cincy. It's always a very interesting internal debate that I have. I'm like, do I like March more for the tournament or do I like October more for the fact that pretty much every sport is playing at that time? Because right. it's it, October is a beautiful month. Plus, it's the month that I was born in. So ah, I love that there you too. go. Uh, but yeah, so I'm a little biased there. Um, but, but today, like I mentioned on this day, a long time ago before I was born, uh, 1975 world series was going on and Carlton Fisk hit this home run. This is something that I'm sure plenty of people listening know intimately. Like my dad has told me millions of times about that game and how much he hated it and how mad he was. And then how happy he was the day after that. Um, but I, I kind of wanted to talk about it a little bit because we see, Especially on ESPN, we see the highlight of Carlton Fisk and waving the ball fair and all this other stuff. But from the Reds' perspective, give me give me a view of that game because I know, as you have mentioned before, you got the chance to do a tour that was specifically about this game at the Reds Hall of Fame Museum. Right? Yeah, back way back when it was 2006, I think. Um, there was nice. just the basic tour of the championships and. Over here is the 1990 trophy, and here is 1976, and we and we swept, and then the 99 team, how great they were. Well, I always saved the 75 for last because everybody knows of it, the classic, you know, the manner in which it was played and how it was so dramatic. But what I wanted to do is I add a little something to it. I kind of veered from just your basic, here's the trophy, here's what happened, and here's the highlight, into some of the details of right, what happened right before it. And, of course, I don't even mention Game 7 because we already know Game 7 happened. But it was that Game 6 that not just defined a baseball history, but it, it with the way it was televised and the way, like you said, the camera on Carlton that kind of changed the way we broadcast games. But the drama – and how baseball was kind of in that in that era was kind of fade in popularity. Football was starting to peak, rear its head as being more popular. Baseball was losing its luster a little bit. That sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, this World Series captivates a nation, and it puts baseball back on the map, and away we go. But the the game itself, 
I have always I've watched it probably four thousand two hundred fifty six times myself. But giving the tour, of course, you always have that. Um, you want to find some knowledge and drop some knowledge in these places. So I'd always I would always give these tours with this. You have to go back to Game Five right before. So the series is tied at two. It's you know Cincinnati wins, Boston wins. It's back and forth. It's evenly matched. Cincinnati is the team that. Are they going to win the big one finally? They lose in 70. They lose in 72. Are they going to win in 1975? And it's not looking good. It's like, man, I don't know. Is this, are we finally going to do it? You could almost sense there was going to be a choke. You just had this, like, of course they're going to lose because Boston ties it up. It's two games to two games. Okay, this is a big game five in Riverfront Stadium, October 16th, 1975. The largest crowd. This is this is crazy. The largest crowd to ever see a sporting event in Cincinnati until Paul Brown, of course. Right. So there was fifty six thousand three hundred ninety three people. The biggest crowd to date uh, in, uh, of Riverfront's history at that point. And it continued until, of course, like I said, Paul Brown Stadium was built. But right before the game. Now, Tony Perez is in this massive slump right before the game. Sparky Anderson comes up to him and says, you know, Tony. You're 0 for 15. You might as well just not get a hit the rest of the series. So then you can tell your children about how you went hitless in the World Series and you broke the record. And, I mean, it's nice to have a record. So just don't get a hit the rest of the series. He's kind of being sarcastic. And Tony was ticked <laughs> off. So what does he do? He goes out and hits two home runs. And completely his game changed. And that's the genius of Sparking Anderson. And we'll get into more of that as we talk about this game. But going and, and knowing what buttons to push with players. I mean – I don't know if a manager could do that today. I just don't think that's a conversation that can be had. I don't know. But he knew to get, on, to get under Tony's skin a little bit. All he had to do was mention his family and say, oh, your kids, you know, they're going to think. Oh, for dad, you know, never got a hit. And he goes out and hits two home runs. We win a pivotal, pivotal game because now we're going back to Boston and we have a chance on Saturday night to, to, to win the game, to win the series, to completely change the Reds' history. So... What happens? Friday's a travel day. Friday they travel. It's uh, October 17th. They go to Boston. It rains. Saturday they get up at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's raining, pouring, four inches of rain by some estimates. It's just puddles everywhere. You can't play. So, but the Reds being cocky, especially Mr. Joe Morgan, the late great Joe Morgan says, and this was a great quote, he says, it's just a stay of execution for Boston. That's just <laughs> all it is, a stay of execution. What I mean, what a, what a master at motivation. He, yeah. he was so great at that. So the game Saturday is called off. It's like, oh, no problem. Sunday we're going to play. 10-19, 1975. Two more inches of rain. The game's called again. So the drama's starting to build. The Reds are on the cusp of a championship. Back-to-back days where you have nothing but a deluge of rain. It rains, it rains. Now a little bit of turmoil enters the clubhouse because now you've got people on edge. They're playing cards in their hotel room. They're like, this is getting old. We just want to win this thing. And Boston's are like, they're back sitting back like, oh, we're in our homes. You know, we've got nothing to lose here. You know, we're just going to go out and do the best raw go team go. Right. Cincinnati's got their back against the wall. They, have, they hadn't won since 1940. Of course, Boston hadn't won forever, but they, they weren't really expected to be there. The Reds are the ones that were expected to be there. And are they going to win? And then you've got this crazy delay happening. Well, Sparky decides not to start Jack Billingham. He, he says this to the press. I'm not going to start Billingham. I'm going to go with Gary Nolan. Gary Nolan's my guy. I'm going to start Billingham. Now, this makes Billingham furious. 
he goes to the press the next day and he's just, I can't believe it. I'm mad. I, I can't understand why he would do this to me. His wife is quoted in the paper as being mad. I mean, I can't imagine in today's world with Twitter how this would play out. Oh, it was, yeah. it was, the, what, yeah, what was going on in the press was crazy. But Sparky's reasoning was, he said, I think that if something happens and no one starts and then I can quickly get up Billingham because Billingham can get ready in seconds. He was unbelievable at being able to be ready. Nolan, he had some injuries, so it took him some time to rev that engine up. It took him a little bit longer. So his thought process was if Nolan gets in trouble, I've got Jack, Cactus Jack, in the background ready to go and a slew of other pitchers that Captain Hook can, can go to if he needed to. So, But that didn't sit well with Billingham. So all of the press wants to talk about this because there's nothing else to talk about. There's no game. So it's going back and forth, and they're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're yelling, screaming at each other about who's right and who's wrong, all these think pieces. Sunday comes. It's rained out again. And then Monday at 3.50 p.m., Commissioner Bowie Coon steps up, and he says, guys, we're not playing today. More rain. It's rained out Saturday. Rained out Sunday. Monday, no dice. Rained out again. Go back to your hotel rooms. Now, We'll continue talking about Game 6 of the 1975 World Series here in just a moment. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to let you know that the next time you need a part for your car, go to rockauto.com. They've got all of the parts that your car will ever need, and they will deliver it right to your door. You can go there and check out, like, tail lamps, tailpipes. Maybe you need a brake pad. Maybe you need some carpet. They've got it all at rockauto.com. And whether you're talking about a car from this year or a car from 1965, they've got parts for that car too. Head on over there and in the checkout section on rockauto.com in the how'd you hear about us area, type in locked on to let them know that your pal Jeff from the lockdown reds podcast sent you because when you go down the street to the store, you're going to see some parts that are just marked up ridiculous prices. Rockauto.com has reliably low prices on all of their parts. So when you go there, you know, you're getting the best price and they'll deliver it right to your door. That's rockauto.com. And in the checkout section in the, how'd you hear about us area type in locked on rockauto.com has all of the parts that your car will ever need. All right, let's get back to this awesome talk about game six of the 1975 world series. Another little kink in this is that the reds were working out at Tufts university in Boston. So, a funny antidote Pete Rose once said, and I remember him telling this at one of the events he did at the Hall of Fame. He says, "We, uh, it was everybody was kind of on edge, and even the bus driver was a little on edge. It was taking us to Tufts. We were all in our uniforms, and then we, we're trying to figure out where Tufts is. The bus driver gets lost. So Sparky in full uniform stops into a Boston gas station and says, can you tell us, please, how to get to Tufts University? And he goes and tells the bus driver. So I can't imagine the gas attendant. Spark Anderson full uniform walking out of the bus saying, can you please tell us where this Tufts University is so we can work out? <laughs> so everything that could go wrong was going wrong for the Reds in, in Boston. Three straight days of it's a rain out. So you've got not only that, but you've got Billingham and Nolan, that drama in the clubhouse, and you've kind of split the clubhouse in half. Not what you want on the cusp of a world championship. Right. But Boston, they're loving it because they're making – money hand over fist because of the three days, right? So one of the estimates was that 
um, the, the the Chamber of Commerce said that they made four hundred fifty thousand extra dollars. That's a lot of money in nineteen seventy five dollars. Four hundred fifty thousand dollars just because of hotels and food and all of the industry that you know go, is associated with tourism. They were raking it in because of, they're like, please rain all month. <laughs> this is great. <laughs> so finally, it happens Tuesday. The game begins. Game six. Right before the game, there's this this news story that comes out that umpire Larry Barnett received a death threat. So he's on edge. So again, another thing to add to the the whole mystique of Game Six, the umpire. Well, the umpires has this death threat from a Boston fan, like you better let the Red Sox win or else we're gonna shoot your kid and you and your wife. So he's shaking in his boots out there. He had police security before the game and after the game. So he's got that to d- deal with. And on the other side of the clubhouse, Bill Lee was supposed to start, but he, just like Sparky, went the Billingham-Nolan route. Daryl Johnson of the Red Sox says Louis Tion's going to pitch because I he's my guy. So this makes Bill Lee mad. So you got both clubhouses in this kind of <laughs> disarray, which, again, a different game. It was not really disarray in the way we think of it today, where in today would be Twitter Every second, there'd be a comment about it. There'd be it'd be headlines. It would be a news story. Back then, it was just kind of like that's how you did it. The manager made the decisions, and sometimes the players got ticked off. But at the end of the day, they're going to kiss and hug because they're they're fathers and sons and they're brothers. It's 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 like you're going to war. You're in the trenches with these guys. So things were a little bit different then. There's a full moon at Fenway. Game six starts. Um, and a, a side note here, one thing that I always try to do is I make sure that people recognize this name, the name or, or understand this guy's name, Joe Mooney. He was the grounds crew, head grounds crew guy at, at Fenway Park. What he did to get this park ready to play baseball is absolutely one of the greatest jobs in groundskeeping history. Sure. Seven to eight inches of rain in a matter of three to four days. And we're not talking about the technology that we have today where there's drainage and things are so much easier to work with. This guy, they said that the, they estimated that. There was five tons of that quick dry, that turface material, the clay, the ground up clay that they had to put on. They ordered five tons of that. Their guys were working 15-hour days for four straight days overtime just to get the field ready to play. So an unsung hero of game six just to get the game in is Joe Mooney, who unfortunately at 90 years old, he 31 years as the grounds crew guy, and then he died last year. In 2020, at 90 years old, the stories that man could tell. I wish I would have got a chance to meet him. By all accounts, he was just an outstanding man and knew how to get fields ready. Just another one of those unsung guys that you never hear about. But the game happens, and I always – it's just crazy to think. Like, we don't have that today. You know, we don't have that technology. We have that technology, but we don't have that guy that – 31 years with a club, you know, the old man that knows just what to do. You know, he licks his finger, puts it up in the air to see where the wind's blowing. That type of guy. I'm like imagining somebody like he's just like, get everybody. Let's get some Hoover vacuums out there and just start (laughs) sucking up that water. We got to get it off the field. Right. Right? Because I can't imagine the pressure he was under. I mean, I just they have his guys work that much just to get the field and playable because they had a record rain. I mean, and the Reds are on edge. The Red Sox are on edge. Just adds of the game it's unbelievable all right we're going to talk about more of the events of this game now that the stage is set we're going to break down what happened in the game in just a moment before we talk about that though i wanted to let you know you can still take advantage of this great offer at betonline.ag with the promo code locked on go set up your profile right now and type in that promo code you get 100 percent more 
on your initial deposit. That is an amazing deal when you look at the fact that they're just going to give you as much as you put in. They're going to double your initial bankroll. That way you can get off the bench and get in the game and start making some cash off your sports knowledge today at betonline.ag. You can get in on the action when it comes to the Major League Baseball playoffs. They've also got NFL and NCAA football going on. Basketball, whether it be the NBA or plenty of futures now for NCAA NCAA as we get close to the tip-off of the college basketball season, plus there's NHL as well. Head on over to betonline.ag, set up your profile, and type in that promo code Locked On and get 100% more on your initial deposit, add it onto your bankroll, and get off the bench and get in the game with my favorite and the only online sportsbook that I trust, betonline.ag. All right, let's finish up this talk of Game 6 by looking at what happened on the field as Cam takes it away. And I, I have these three things I always say when I when I would do the tour and I would talk about it. It was Foster's throw, Evans for show, and Dinger for Carbo. Those three <laughs> keys are the ones that make that game what it is. The bottom of the first, what happens? Singles by Yaz and Fisk. Three-run home run by Freddie Lynn. Nolan is in trouble. What Sparky do gets Jack Billingham up because he knows, you know, I had to put my guy in here just in case he played and it didn't work. It backfired on him. But Sparky admitted it and talked about it later after the game. It was a mistake, but he went with his gut, which is something that managers don't do a lot of anymore. But he went with his gut and he, he, he goes to Billingham. Game's going on top of the fifth. Armbrister walks. Griffey gets a hit off the wall. Rose singles. Bench hits one off the, the wall. Uh, now it's tied up. Now it's three to three. So at the bottom of the fifth, it's three to three. I mean, all just like that, a blink of an eye. So Tion's out of the game now. We go to the top of the seventh. There's a double for Foster who scores Griff and, and Morgan. Now it's five three Reds. And to add another insurance run, top of the eighth, Geronimo hits a solo home run down the line, right field line, just the foul pole, kind of the opposite way of what Fisk would do a few innings later. So now it's six to three. And now the bottom of the eighth comes up, and I, I remember watching it on the, on television in the replay. Um, I was one year old at the time, so I don't remember it live, but I'm I'm told <laughs> that I was up and down watching it. That's the story my mom and dad tell me. So it was my little red's hat. Mm-hmm. But there was this moment where Carbo comes up to the plate, a former red, Bernie Carbo. He's already had a whole pinch hit home run in the World Series at Riverfront Stadium. So he comes up, and. He hits a three-run home run to tie the game. Now, before he does that, like he takes these swings that look just unbelievable. And I remember Joe Gary Joel and the guys were like, doesn't look like he's ready to hit. I mean, what kind of little league swing swings are these? This guy's not ready to hit. Like he's cold or what? I don't know what's going on. And then, of course, what happens? Baseball is baseball, and he hits a three-run home run into the seats. It's a tie ball game in the eighth inning. Place is going absolutely bananas. The bottom of the ninth, Red Sox are up again. The bases are loaded with nobody out. And George Foster, this is where the George Foster for for the throw comes into play. He gets a a, a ball hit to him right up against the stands. He catches it. He throws it home to tag uh, Doyle, who tagged up at third base, a double play. Now there's two outs, man on first and third, and then, of course, a strikeout. Gets out of the inning. Bottom of the ninth with nobody out, and they get out of the jam. Almost... Lost the game right there. But, of course, the game goes the 11th. Daryl Evans makes an unbelievable catch on Joe Morgan's hit, which is where the 
Evans for show comes in. He makes this unbelievable showboat catch, doubles up Griffith for space. Two great defensive plays in in the extra innings there to 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 you know make the game still tied, and then of course Carlton Fisk comes up in the twelfth at one or I'm sorry twelve thirty four a.m. <laughs> so Fisk gets a home run. The place goes nuts. A two hundred and forty one minute game is now over, and it becomes an instant classic. And the thing sure. about it is not a lot of people saw it live because it was so late. Right. They had to read about it in the paper the next day. So imagine, imagine <laughs> like the live tweeting that bad boy. It's just a crazy game. And of course the Reds go on to win, but that game, it just changed the way, like I said, the way baseball was broadcast by keeping focused. And the reason the cameraman was focused on Fisk is because two feet to the left of him was a rat the size of a cat and he didn't want to move. So he was so scared of this rat that would look like he was about to eat him <laughs> he's focused on fisk that's the no. only reason we get that shot is oh because God. of that that and the fact that he really couldn't pan a lot because this was the first time they ever put a camera on the scoreboard that was the first game they ever tried it they said let's put a camera on the scoreboard what the heck of course they did for that game that's baseball baseball being baseball and of course the rat story and the, i saw an interview with the cameraman later and he got he's told the story a million of times. And of course, the rat gets a little bit bigger every time he tells a story. First, it was a cat. Then the next thing you know, it's a rhinoceros. Then it's an elephant. So, But that's why the camera focused on the batter, which is why today you get to watch bat flips because the camera is focused on the batter. They have a camera in the outfield that watches the batter and not the ball. So that changed the way we watched baseball. Um, just the way the game was played and the way it was managed, record number of pitchers was used. It was just an instant classic. And again, like I said before, it brought baseball back. That game, and you know, some people think the Boston Red Sox won that World Series because that is so, <laughs> right. that highlight is shown so many times. But an unbelievable game. Game seven happens. The Reds win. There's a big parade. Fountain Square goes crazy. And hopefully soon we will see it happen again in 2022 for the Cincinnati Red Legs. Man, I'm hoping so. I mean, you look back on a game like that, and, and when you see highlights as somebody who didn't get a chance to experience that sort of thing live, and, and even thinking about it, you said like, oh man, it's like past midnight and stuff like that. It's, it's almost a thing now. Like we're just expecting Like I remember watching the Dodgers and Padres earlier on during the regular season. And it was like three 30 in the morning by the time we were done playing. Like, it's just, it's so crazy to think. And of course this is on the East coast. So it makes way more sense that the game started a little bit more early than a Dodgers Padres game. But I, I right. love getting to look back and see, and the idea of thinking that the Reds were just going to choke because as a Reds fan now, that makes total sense because that's all they've ever done throughout my lifetime. But <laughs> I, I listen to my dad talk and I listen to different people who got the chance to watch the Big Red Machine and, and how much they revered that team and how much that team meant to the city. And you still talk to people who they might live like out west or something like that, but they still know about the Big Red Machine. You just get this feeling like it was this cockiness that they would show up with. But like you said, like that, that had to happen first. They had to win the world series right. first to get that feeling it it's just so awesome to to look back on a game like that and you know i mean let's see what what, what math um was it 45 years now yeah 45 yeah. yeah 45 years ago today that's uh, that's ah oh, man wish it's i could have unbelievable seen that and yeah, you're absolutely right. And the fact that you got, you know, not only the game itself, but look, look at the celebration. If there's, if you go on YouTube and you search, you'll see like some of the local TV coverage of the celebration down at Fountain Square. People were losing their minds. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting since 1940, because I've said it before, right. and I say it all the time. 
Cincinnati Reds are not just an average baseball team. They're not the Mets. They're not the Cardinals, the baseball way and all that jazz. They're a community team. They're led by the community. The community gets behind that team. And when they win, boy, do they come out and support that team. They always support the Reds. But when you have a winner here, it's a different beast than in any other city. This town goes crazy for their Reds because it's a connection because the grandfathers and the grandmothers and the uncles and aunts, everybody's got a story. You can't say that about every city. You can't say that about the San Diego Padres don't have that history. Even the St. Louis Cardinals, I dare to say, don't have that history. There is something about the Reds where you can trace it back to 1869 with one of your relatives pushing a coal cart or riding a horse to deliver the mail (laughs) that went to a game at Union Grounds. Everybody is connected by the fabric of Reds baseball, which is why when we win championships, it makes it that much more special. I mean, what a team. You're absolutely right. The 70s completely dominant. And somebody asked me once before, is this, do we get, do you get sick of talking about the bigger machines? Like, do you know how many teams would kill to have that history? <laughs> yeah. I can think of one, the Pittsburgh Pirates, who the Reds are the reason why the P- Pittsburgh Pirates weren't the big red machine or the pirate machine or whatever you want to call it, because the Reds beat them every single chance. The, red, the Pirates <laughs> had a good team. The Reds were there in their way. So, of course, I'm never going to get tired of talking about it. Are you kidding me? We, we're so fortunate to have the big red machine right here in our backyard. Exactly. And I mean, I'm I'm the biggest culprit of that in the world. I've said before, like I, I wish I. It's more out of jealousy than anything that mm-hmm. I, I wish that it was something that I could talk more about, other than just getting to hear about it because I do love hearing about it. All right, so this was really awesome getting the chance to talk about Game 5. Uh, we got a little bit of a special thing here. that We're, we're releasing two podcasts, Cam, because you gave me so much beautiful stuff today. i got to make two podcasts out of it. This has been the Game 5 uh, podcast episode. If you want to know some more, because there's so much about this day in Red's history, we're going to talk about Game or not game six. We're going to talk about 76 and the world series team that swept the Yankees. And we'll talk about the fact that this is the anniversary of the Reds signing and announcing David Bell as manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Go check out that podcast episode. But Cam, thank you so much for all of this beautiful stuff about game five or game six of 75. I keep getting five and six mixed up. man. <laughs> no problem. I love it. Thank you so much. I always enjoy talking to you. Jeff. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Cam. And if this is your first time, like I mentioned earlier, listening to the Lockdown Reds podcast, make sure you're following me on your favorite podcasting app because we're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Also, make sure you don't miss either the 76 and David Bell episode that also was released today or tomorrow. Wick Terrell from the Red Reporter joins me to kind of put a bow on the season and look forward to the offseason. We even have a bold prediction for you. We each give you a bold prediction as to what's going to happen this offseason. That's on tomorrow's Lockdown Reds podcast. Now, go check out Lockdown MLB and see what Sully's got cooking for you about the MLB playoffs. Just like Lockdown Reds, it's free and available wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for making us your first listen. Hashtag first listen. And I'll talk to each and every one of you tomorrow. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.